Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> so, so we announced that today is Super Bowl. So Super Bowl Sunday, and I know um, I'm not wearing a shirt of one of the teams that's playing in the Super Bowl, and I'll explain that here in just a minute. But I went through and I found some crowd signs, and I wanted to show you a few crowd signs this morning I thought were pretty good. Uh, actually, I'll show this one later, so <laughs> let's not show that one yet. All right, so yeah, we'll get them next year. That's, I, I don't know if this is prophetic or not. I don't know. Uh, and I didn't do that on purpose, by the way. Zach wanted to show that. Guy behind me can't see. Okay, next one. Uh, coach, I'm open. Chad, come on. I don't know that he looks like he could run. I can't feel my face. Yeah, been to some of those. Uh, my dad says, run the ball. Yeah, and you picked a punter over Russell Wilson. Yeah, that was a bad, bad idea. Um, make the Dolphins great again. Come on. Come on, President Trump. And then we're going to the Pro Bowl. Go Pack Go. Yes, they are. And the E-Refs, you need to check your, get your eyes checked. Me too, yeah. And he told me I could have an engagement ring or the World Series ticket. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's going to go well. Oh, we set our DVR to record the biggest loser, and the, it keeps recording the Oakland Raiders. What is wrong? Come on, Derek Carr. What's wrong with Brady? You look deflated. Especially this season, he did. Honey, call me when your water breaks. Go, angels. Oh, that's terrible. And then couldn't think of anything. Yeah. What else do we have? Yeah, four years of experience in QB. Put me in, coach. Come on, yeah. And now I think that's all of them. Uh, those are some of the ones that, that I found out there I thought were pretty funny. You know, interesting, fansided.com, they decided to do a fan base they wanted to find the best fan base of all time, so they did this big thing, and, and this is fan bases in sports, culture, film, gaming. And do you know who they discovered had the best fan base? The Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns. Interesting thing about the Cleveland Browns, and then that was that one I wanted to show, Zach, of the Cleveland Browns, was he said, we've been rebuilding since 1964. That's a true statement. This kid's not joking. They have been. They, I mean, they have had one of the losingest seasons. In fact, this is interesting. Last year on January 8th in 2018, the Cleveland Browns, they had a perfect season parade because their season had ended at 0 and 16. So they had 3,000 people come out in negative temperatures, less than zero temperatures, and they're out here going, woohoo, go Cleveland Browns. I don't know why they're. But they, let me, how many of you would believe those guys are true fans? Yeah. Diehard fans. All right. Definition of a true fan is someone who supports their team through thick and thin, whether they win or whether they lose. It doesn't matter. So that's a true fan. Now, what about a bandwagon fan? I have a graphic that kind of describes a bandwagon fan. And yeah, lifelong Celtics fan since last week. Yeah, newest member of the Lakers bandwagon. <laughs> That's a bandwagon fan, you know, they get excited when, when they're already winning, you know, and they jump teams. I was a bandwagon fan, I, I have to admit it to you, I was a bandwagon fan for the, uh, the, the, I can't, the Warriors. 
you know, when they, when they were playing in the NBA Finals. I jumped on that bandwagon. I almost bought a shirt. But, but I didn't want to look like a bandwagon fan. <laughs> but you'll notice that I'm wearing an Arkansas shirt today. And the reason I am is because, I mean, our season last year wasn't so great. I mean, we won two and we lost ten. Right? We were two and ten. And so, so in November... Um, we had our vision conference, and we had Pastor AJ come from Tulsa. Pastor AJ uh, is the director of the Dream Center there in Tulsa. He's on the executive pastoral team at Victory Tulsa. He came, did an amazing job, but it was his anniversary that weekend, and so we wanted to do something special for him. And so we were wondering, what could we do? And he said, he goes, hey, do you know anybody that could hook me up with some Razorback tickets? And I thought, yeah, why would you want to go to a Razorback game? Because Pastor AJ, some people, he didn't talk about this, but he played for the University of Tulsa. So they played against uh, Arkansas years ago. But anyway, and, and he said, yeah, could you hook me up with some tickets? And I thought, yeah. And ironically, I bought him some tickets, and he said, Aren't, can you guys go with us? And I called, we called back and tried to get tickets for us too, and they were sold out. So he went to the game. Yeah, they're sold out of tickets, 2 and 10, sold out of tickets. He goes to the game with his wife, and they had a wonderful time. I mean, he posted pictures. And so the next morning, he's getting ready to preach, and he said, so tell me, there was like 893 people at the game yesterday. What's up? I said, well, we're 2 and 10. I said, did, you know, that's why I was wondering, why did you want to go to the team, go to the game? But my point is, is that when the team began to lose, Attendance began to dwindle. So if we're true fans, though, we go, don't we? I mean, we support our team. A true fan would support our team, right? I'm not, here to make, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, okay? Don't feel bad because we did have a losing season. I, I get that. But I, I have to say this. One of, my, one of my favorite fans of all was my dad. Let me tell you, my dad signed me up to play soccer one year. I knew nothing about soccer. All I knew was you kick the ball and you try to get it in the little square net thing. That was all I knew about soccer. And my coach that dad signed me up for in the team, she knew less than that. So, yeah. So, you know, we lined up in the field according to how the other team lined up. So, you know, they all lined up and we saw where they were standing. So we basically got in the same position. So we didn't know. I was the one that was supposed to kick off. So I'm thinking football. It's a kickoff. So I kicked it as far down the field as I could. And then, of course, they brought it all the way back and scored. And, and we thought, man, that's a bummer. So we got to stop them from scoring. So, you know, some new strategy here, guys. Don't let them score, you know. Well, they came down. They, they beat us like 11 to 0. And my dad was there the whole time. Come on, son, you're doing good, man. Encouraging me. He went to every sport I played. He went to every game I played. That whole season, that poor, terrible season. And in fact, my dad even tried to help us because my, I had a friend. He was an African-American kid. His name was Doyle Cade. Years later, I saw him playing on the Broken Arrow uh, Tigers football team and just was doing amazing. But, but he, he, he was the kid that nobody could stop on the playground 
you know, in, in elementary school. So I told dad, I said, we need to get Doyle playing our team. But he didn't have the money for cleats and everything. So dad got, his, got him the cleats, got him on the team. And so now we were a losing team with an all-star, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you need the whole team, you know. Doyle can't fix everything. So now instead of losing 11 to, 11 to 0, we were losing 11 to 3. Thanks to Doyle. So, you know, so anyway, but my dad, that whole season, thick and thin, rain, heat, it's freezing cold. He's sitting in the car, you know, we, we'd score, Doyle would score, and dad would blow his horn, you know. You guys are doing great out there. He was my, he was my best fan. But let me tell you who your best fan is. Our Father God, our Heavenly Father. Man, he is your greatest fan. He is your truest fan. He'll stick with you through thick, through thin. I mean, let's face it. You've had winning seasons and you've had losing seasons. We all go through winning seasons, losing seasons in our life. And aren't you glad that you have a father, you have a true fan that sticks closer than a brother, that he roots for you no matter what the score is, no matter how bad it looks on the other side. He is rooting for you all the time. He loves you. He cares more about you then I think more about us than we understand. I mean, he knows your likes and, li- and dislikes better than you do. And so, man, what a mighty God we serve. So I want to look at a, at a situation here where God was an amazing fan. So would you turn over to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3, if you bought your Bibles. And if you're taking notes, good for you, because note takers are history makers, aren't you? Come on. And I love it. I take notes on my phone. I use that little note thing and... and the iPhone, I don't know what Android has, has. I guess they have something, some inferior uh, comparable product, but no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay, wait. Android has Microsoft Word. They only have Bill Gates. I mean, hey, you know, come on, Steve Jobs. What? No, I'm sorry. That's wrong. Let me move on. You were saying something, honey. I missed it all. Oh, that was her. Okay, just. You heard that? Okay. So Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And I want to look at how God was an amazing fan to Moses. But then how Moses kind of gave some excuses here. We're going to look at his excuses. But in Exodus chapter 3, you guys remember the story of Moses. If you go back and you read Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you've never read his story, which would be surprising if you haven't, but um, you can go back and you can read the history. But he, you know, he was born in Egypt. And when he got older, he went out to see his people and how they were being oppressed. And, you know, he tried to help them. And he wound up fleeing from Egypt, from Pharaoh. And when he fled, he wound up in an in a area called Midian. And there was a priest in Midian who had a beautiful daughter. He married his daughter. He settled with them. And he became a shepherd. So now he's shepherding all these sheep. And so he's leading these sheep, and he leads them real close to Mount Sinai. And when he leads them over there, he sees a bush that's on fire. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw something on fire, I'd be looking around for a person because there's an arson somewhere. Somebody started this thing. And there's nobody around, and this bush is on fire. But the other thing is the bush isn't burning up. It's just engulfed in flames. And, you know, I don't know if you've burnt leaves recently, but leaves don't last very long. You know, you get a big fire and then it dies way down, right? Because they, they burn up real quick. But this one's not. It's just burning and burning. And so Moses says, man, I've got to go over here and see what's going on and see what this is. And so when God saw that he stepped aside, God spoke to him and spoke to him. And 
So in verse uh, 7, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh uh, slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, I heard one guy say the mosquito bites, all the ites live, now live. And so now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh so you must lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. So, I mean, I think that conversation was going all the way. It was going really well until he said, I'm sending you. And so now Moses responds in verse 11 and he says, Who am I that, to appear before Pharaoh and who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? So what was the key thing that he said there? Who am I? So his first excuse is an identity excuse. I find that Moses was not only in an identity crisis, but oftentimes Christians are in an identity crisis. You know, where we maybe don't remember who we are, who God has created us to be. And so he says, who am I? And the first answer to that is, wait, you're the one that God picked to lead the people out of Israel. That's who you are. You're the one that's going to deliver Israel. See, God chose you to bring people, not just Moses. He has chosen us to help people get free from bondage in their life. And how does that happen? Well, we, that happens by us carrying God everywhere we go. It's not, you know, I, I, I heard it put this way. I was studying this yesterday and I heard one guy say it this way that, you know, evangelism, sometimes we, we turn that into a separate thing. That's a separate event. That's something that the church schedules to do, you know, on a Saturday coming up in April and we're all going to go out and we're gonna, all going to evangelize. We're all going to, you know, maybe have an event down at Shallow Square, give away a bunch of things and, and, and talk to people about Jesus. Well, that's just an event, but we're supposed to be carriers of God everywhere we go. So that means when we're at the grocery store, when we're on the sidewalk, when we're meeting our neighbors, when we're talking uh, to leaders, it doesn't matter where we are. We're supposed to be carrying this with us on a regular basis because the devil wants you to think that you can't do this because you're not worthy. But see, Jesus paid a price. Your value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for you. And man, what Jesus paid for you, that has made you extremely valuable, right? And he is the one that has made you worthy. That, those nails that he took on the cross when he died, he died so that you and I could become righteous, and that's not just positionally right. God has made us right, made our hearts right. And so our, that means our hands are clean and our heart is pure before God because we've received his forgiveness. We've received his righteousness inside of us. And man, you can go to bed and you don't have to have guilt, condemnation, shame in your life because you've been, right, been made right. All is forgiven. You know, I used to say it this way, that there's a big chalkboard somewhere where everything that you ever did is, was written. And when you received Jesus, when you became a Jesus follower and you received him into your heart and you received his forgiveness, somebody took, you know, remember the way we used to clean the old chalkboards, you know, with the wet rag? And man, once those were wiped clean, they look, you can't even tell whatever, anything was ever written on them. And that's the way your heart is. It's been wiped clean. Aren't you glad? See, otherwise, when I was baptized, that guy in there, 
He died when I came up out of the water. Otherwise, I just got wet. So we need to realize what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to so that way we can live a fulfilled Christian life. Amen? Amen. Good. Praise God. All right. That way we're not constantly revisiting our past. That's not any fun going back there, you know, because it's all gone. You've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Well, who keeps bringing them up? Not God. It's the enemy. And so we have to renew our mind, don't we? And so let me tell you this. The Bible doesn't say that, that we renew our mind by washing it with the water of ESPN, Netflix, and Disney+. Plus. Does it? I mean, is that going to renew our mind? It's going to renew our mind to something. But it's not going to be the kind of mind renewal that we need to get free from our past. To get free from those things that hold us in bondage, right? Man. So instead of binging on Netflix, man, why don't we binge on some truth? Man, just take the word of God. Begin to read it. I'll tell you one thing I like to do is I like to play it. Now they have the Bible like it acted out. And there's a version that has, um, who's the dude that played Jesus in the Passion? Uh, Jim Caviezel. He's on it, man. And so I'm listening to the New Testament. And every time Jim comes on, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, like having Jim on there. So stay in the Word. Stay in the secret place. Stay in intimate relationship in humility. And then come to God and say, God, I need you to show me how this thing works. I need you to show me how to become what the Word says that I am. So listen to how God replies to Moses. So Moses said, who am I, right? God says in verse 12, I will be with you. Come on, he's saying that to you. I will be with you. God, I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus. I will be with you. It's all right. You got me with you. Got me with you. He said, and this will be a sign to you uh, that, that I've sent you, is that you'll bring all the people back from Egypt back, and you will worship here on this mountain. So then what, listen to what Moses says. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of our, your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? And what do I tell him? Now, here's his second excuse. And this has to do with authority. And here's the reason I say this is because God has given us a name in which we need to operate in. Okay, so let me, let me maybe give this as an example. <clears throat> I was talking to a couple last week, and they're a husband and wife. And the, the, you know, he was talking about how his job was going and that he really likes his job and, and, and he's really glad that, that God blessed him with that job. He said, but he said, my wife, she's not getting hours. They've, they've really pulled her hours way back. And he said, so we don't know what we're going to do. We're just, we're hoping that, you know, that they give her hours back to her. And I said, well, why don't we pray? I said, would, would you mind? Because he's a, he's a Christian, but she's not. I said, would you mind if I just prayed with you? And he goes, no, no. I said, would, do you think she'd mind? Because she wasn't there at the moment. And, I said, and so we went down to where she was. I said, can I pray with you about your job, about getting more hours? And she goes, yeah, that'd be okay. So we joined hands. We prayed. And we ended our prayer with, in Jesus' name. Yeah. It's interesting to me as I hear, you know, certain people trying to take the name Jesus out of things. See, the enemy knows that that's where the power is. The name of Jesus is what activates the power in your life. So if you don't use the name of Jesus, you know, powerless. powerless. So anyway, so I saw him a week later, 
And I said, oh, hey, how's your job going? And she said, you know, she, they took me to full time. I said, well, man, this stuff works. You know, well, let me read it to you out of the word. Don't just take my word for it because... In Mark 16, verse 17 and 18 says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, man, underline those three if you're, <laughs> in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with no t- new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I'm telling you, the name of Jesus is the name that's, that's all powerful. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will f- confess that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. But we have to activate it. It's up to us to use that name. Yes. Right? All right, so in Exodus, moving on, in chapter 3, look at verse 14. So God replies to Moses, and he tells him, I am who I am. Say to the people that I am has sent you. Okay, that answers that question. Now, verse 18. Listen to what God says in his beginning conversation on this next part. He says, the elders of Israel will accept your message. Remember that statement. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of signs and miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you, and they will give you gifts that when you go, so that you will not leave empty-handed. I love that. They're not, they are leaving plundering the Egyptians. All right, so remember that first phrase in verse 18, the elders of Israel will accept your message. And so Moses in chapter four, verse one, he replies with, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? Wait a minute, he just said, the elders of Israel will accept your message. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, Lord, the Lord never appeared to you. So this excuse is credibility. All right, so sometimes and we've all done this, I think, I know I have, is we make issue out of things that are not issues. Let me put it in a car sales example for you, can I? Um, so let's say you're selling a car, and everything on the car works great. Engine, transmission, the body's in good shape. You know, everything is great, except there's, there's a spot on the back seat that won't come out, and it's a permanent spot. You know, and so if you wanted to sell that car, let's say that you brought the person over and the first thing that you show them is you open up the back door and say, I'm so sorry, there's a spot on the back seat. You know, what are you doing? You are, you're turning something into an issue that's not even an issue. You know, they may look at the rest of the car and, it's, you know, I mean, you don't take people to the worst part of your home if you're trying to sell your home and sell that. No, you show them the view, you show them that peach tree they want out in the backyard, you find out what their hot buttons are, and that's what you sell. Well, this is what what Moses is doing. He's making an issue out of something that God already said, hey, that's not even an issue. They will accept you. And so so in the next verse, in chapter 4, verse 2 through 8, God begins to talk about, okay, so I'm going to give you some miracles. You're not going to need these, but I'm going to give you these miracles. I'm, you know, and he has him take his staff, put it on the ground, it turns into a snake. He has him put his hand in his coat, pull it back out, and it's white, leprous, he pulls it back in, and it's healed, completely whole. And then he says, if those don't work, 
I want you to take some water from the Nile. I want you to pour it out and it will turn to blood on the ground. And nowhere is it recorded that Moses had to use those with the elders to prove his point. All right, just wanted to point that out to you. All right, so in verse 10, so Moses comes up with another one. So he just finished, you know, God, do you see how God is handling his objections? And he is moving Moses closer to obeying him, doing what, how many of you, God has had to move some objections. Don't raise your hand. Sorry, yeah. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. And all the rest of you are with her, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, good. So verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord. He said, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, my, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. So excuse number four has to do with ability. Now this is so interesting. I've, I haven't really seen, heard this pointed out. I've just heard a lot of people talk about how Moses was a stutterer. Well, let's look, turn over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. You guys hanging in there? All right. Okay. I don't hear any pages turning, but that's all because it's devices, right? Okay. You're like me. I got my iPad. Okay. So let me read this verse to you. This is, this is Stephen. You remember Stephen? Yeah, man, he was very bold for God, and he's, he is preaching a message, man. And so he brings this out in his message. In, in chapter 7, verse 22, he says this. So Moses was fully trained in the royal courts and educated in the highest wisdom Egypt had to offer until he rose as a powerful prince and an eloquent orator. Huh. Eloquent orator. Another translation, he was a good speaker. Excellent speaker. Huh. Well, wait a minute. Now Moses just said, I, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And here Stephen is saying he is an eloquent orator. Not just an orator, I mean eloquent. That means you're good at it. Huh. So let me say this. It's not, your, it's not about your ability. It never has been. It's about your availability. What can you and I do without God? I mean, what can we truly do? We, have, we, have, we only have the ability that we have because he has given it to us. And so we've become a steward of the ability that we have. But Isaiah 1 verse 19 says something interesting. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. So it's the people that are willing and obedient. So they're willing to do it. And they not only are willing to do it, but they put it into practice. They put their actions to where their willingness is. Man, they eat the good of the land. So, and... And here's something else to bring out in that. You know, when we realize that people's eternity depends on us stepping out and being who God has called us to be, stepping into the plan that God has for, for, for our lives, that plan and purpose, man, that's powerful. So Exodus 4 verse 11. So then the Lord says to Moses, this is after the I can't talk thing. I'm not an eloquent speaker, even though you are. The Lord says... Who makes a person's mouth, and he tells them, hey, look, I, I make people's mouths. So don't give me that as an excuse. And then in verse 12, he says, now go, I will be with you as you speak. Look at God. Again, God's his biggest fan. This is a true fan here. He's saying, now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you what to say. So now Moses realizes, I have nowhere else to go. 
And he says, please, Lord, send somebody else. Please, Lord, send somebody else. His final excuse has to do with security. Excuse number five, security. See, once you have put your trust in God, then, man, it takes care of insecurity. It does. And because, man, when you truly realize who you are and, and what God has done for you, it gives you confidence in him. I, I, I heard one minister say Godfidence. I love that word. I mean, it, it puts Godfidence in you, and Godfidence destroys insecurity. Let me give you a kind of a worldly example of this. You guys, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in 1991, it was a year before Nicole and I were married, um, Boris Yeltsin had a coup on his hands. And he and all of his pro-democracy guys were in a particular building, and there was a, higher, there was a real high officer in the military that commanded them to, to go down there with the tank and blow the building up and kill Yeltsin. So this tank drove down to where that building was, And when Yeltsin saw the tank, he ran outside and he got up on the tank and he looked the commander in the eye and he shook his hand and he said, thank you for coming over to our side. And that commander later revealed that he said, I was never planning on coming over to Yeltsin's side. He said, but when he said that with the confidence that he had, he said, we were drawn to him. So confidence draws people. It should draw people closer to God. See, see when Nicole and I, um, uh, you guys, a lot of you know that before we came here, we traveled for five years uh, in missions. And the type of missions that we did, it was a production called The 99. It was a walk-through theater that, that, that presented the gospel. And so we would have thousands of people. We would take it to different cities. Thousands of people would come through it. And thousands of people would give their lives to the Lord. And, man, we ministered. It was amazing, the ministry that we got to do in that. But Terry told me, Terry was the director. He told me when we came on because there was no salary. So, yeah, you were going to be in full-time ministry, but there was no salary guarantee. You know? And so Terry told me, he said, you know, I asked. And, guys, you can go ahead and come on. Um, I, I told, I, you know, Terry told me, he said, he said, you know, I asked a lot of couples before I asked you and Nicole. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, all of them either wanted a guarantee. They wanted me to guarantee that there would be some kind of salary or they were so far in debt. They didn't, you know, they couldn't do it. But, but the, he said the bottom line was they didn't want to leave the security of what they had to step into fully having to trust and depend on God. <clears throat> of course, I guess the first question they had, we had to answer was, does God want us to do it? And I remember when we prayed, <clears throat> we set ourselves to pray, and the Lord had already spoken to my heart. You know how the Lord speaks something to you, and you already know you're supposed to do it, but your, your attitude is, I'm just going to pray this a little more because I don't, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be assumptive, you know. I, so I knew already in my heart that we were supposed to go. But I said, you know, let's fast for 21 days. That seems to be what everybody, the fast that people go on. And, and let's pray and let's see, you know, if God wants us to do it. Well, it was two days. Two, day two. I pulled the family together. I said, well, we know God wants us to do it. There's no point in going 21 days. 
on this deal. We know. I said, now we need to pray and we need to ask God, how? How do we do this? And, and do you know, God is so good. He just loves you so much. He's such a great fan, <laughs> a true fan, because he's there. And he's not just a fan, man. He, he's the one that, that shows you how to do everything. And he showed us who to talk to. He began to, he began to show us how to, how to share the vision of what we were doing. And do you know that people gave us a 38-foot RV? There was a lady that gave us a 38-foot RV with a, with a slide. Even had a slide in it to take out on the road to live in this RV. And then we had, uh, another, we had other people uh, donate finances to be able to renovate. The RV had been sitting for years. And so we needed, there was some renovation that needed to happen. And, and so, man, God brought in $10,000 to renovate this RV. And then, I mean, all this stuff began to happen. And I met with a businessman, and I, and I thought, you know, I just want to share with him what we're doing. thought maybe he, you know, might give 100, 200 bucks a month. And, and uh, he walked out of the room when I got done sharing it. And I thought, everything okay? And his associate was still in the room. I said, is he all right? He said, yeah, he's fine. And I didn't see it, but he was tearing up when I was sharing with him. I didn't, I didn't know. And he came back and he slid a piece of paper across to me on the table, same piece of paper that I showed him what we were doing, flipped it over, slid it back, and it said, it said 500 a month, and it had a $2,000 check in front of it. See, I'm not, I'm not a good salesman. I mean, I'm not a salesman that can manipulate money out of people. But let me tell you, God, he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. And that wasn't the only one. I mean, we had within three months, we had everything done. We were, uh, the only debt that we had was on our house and one vehicle. We sold that one vehicle. You know, God took care of our house, put us on the road with full monthly support. Everything that we needed. And I just, I look back at that and go, man, God, you really wanted us to do that. Well, see, God really wanted Moses to do this. I read this on Facebook. I thought it was so good. It says, if you put, a, if God puts a Goliath in front of you, he must believe there's a David inside of you. So God says to Moses, he gets angry. And he says, all right. It has, it's all bold and everything. Um, but, it, but he says, he says, Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him and you will tell him what to say. So what I'm getting out of that verse is you're still going. You're still going. Doesn't matter what you tell me, you're still going. But you need to remember who you are. God is saying, no, I will be with you. I mean, God had already showed him the miracles, the staff turning into the snake, his hand, a snake and his hand, you know, being diseased. I mean, God had already showed him that he was going to be with him. And now he's saying, hey, don't forget who you are. Remember who you are. Come on, Lion King fans. You guys remember? Remember, what's his name? Mufasa. And Sim, he tells Simba, it's been a while since I saw, he, he tells Simba, remember Oh, man, only James Earl Jones can get it that low. Remember. You, I'm telling you, man, it's time for you to remember who you are. 
to stop letting circumstances and situations and people dictate to you whether or not you're forgiven. Allow, allowing the enemy to drag you back to your past again and rehash all these things and make you think that somehow a generational curse isn't broken. But it was broken the day that you received Jesus and made him Lord of your life. You don't have to go back and revisit this. You don't have to go back there. Man. Romans 8.31 says, If God be for you, come on, who can be against me? Man, that, you're, you're just a winner. You're a winner. Man, it's your bat. It's your ball. You get to swing until you get the kind of hit you want. And that's the home run. I get to run all the bases. And it's a home run. Would you stand up with me this morning? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.